Bibles, if you will, to Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one in front of you under one of the chairs. Or you can open up your smartphone and pull up your app. <laughs> Just don't Google me, okay? <laughs> Nobody likes to be Googled, you know. This is a, a great time of year because we are always brought into remembrance of what Jesus did for us a couple thousand years ago. That his willingness to go to the cross and bear our shame. It's an amazing, amazing gift. It never gets old to recall, to remember, to think upon his love and compassion. This year, as you know, Easter is sort of later in the year. And so, unfortunately, it's getting clouded a little bit about another thing that happens in April. About the midway point. You have to have your taxes. You have to give an account of what you've earned the previous year. And, you know, the fear of audit hangs over every citizen, you know, that submits a tax return. Well, we may fear and tremble and we, it, what the government is able to do to us in regards to that issue. But we should really be in fear and awe of the one in whom you and I will give an account to and make it a firm conviction within your mind this is going to happen. You and I individually and every person that has ever lived will stand before the throne of God and will give an account for what has been done in our body. How we lived our life we're going to give an account. Now, let's pick up our story here. Uh, these parables that Jesus gave to us. And we're in Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. So I will read the scripture. And then we'll get a context and work our way through it. Father, bless your word, we pray. Verse 14, Matthew 25. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. And look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know that you're you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and to him who has an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
as I was reading through this passage, I remember uh, the New Year's message at the beginning of the year and the theme that the Lord has given our church for the year. Doing what we can with what we have where God has placed us. And this is essentially the truth that's sort of being put forth in this parable. The Lord has entrusted you and me with abilities and talents. And so the question remains for each of us, how are we using what God has entrusted to us? You see this long delay that Jesus said would be between the two comings is a is a time where each of us is to produce something of value, some type of fruit to present to the King of Kings when he returns to take us either in death or by the rapture of the church. And so as we get into this text this morning, it's a little bit important, I think, to again survey where we've come. It's been a couple weeks uh, since we've been in this uh, text. So as we look at these parables, there are three of them that are all triplets. They sort of come together to communicate some truth about this period of time between the two comings, the attitudes, the expectations, the exhortations of what we're to do and how we're to act while this time of, in this time of waiting for the Lord, in this time of delay. And so in chapters 24 through th- uh, verses 36 through 44, Jesus made it very clear that no one would know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man would return. He would come at a moment that would not be expected. He told his followers to watch, to be ready for the king's return. And according to Jesus, he said the coming of the Son of Man would be like it was in the days of Noah. And in there are lots, there's a, that's a loaded statement in, in many ways. But the idea there, and you, can't, you shouldn't miss this, is that those people that lived in the days of Noah were caught ill-prepared. They refused the message that was being proclaimed by Noah and the testimony that he was building in the building of the ark. He preached for 120 years while he was building that ark, and still the people were ill-prepared and were not ready for that day of judgment when it came. And he is saying through that, Jesus is saying, that it will be like that when the Son of Man comes. People will be ill-prepared. They won't be ready. They're going to be caught off guard. I think it's important for us to be ready and be prepared, according to Jesus' words, obviously. And one of the ways that I've thought about my role as a believer, not just as a pastor, but as a believer. I've been a believer before I've been a, longer than I've been a pastor and nothing's changed. I just have a different ministry. But I've looked at myself as a kind of like a Roman soldier. I've been sent to this outer post in the Roman kingdom, you know. Uh, and they would be sent out into this remote area, some of them, and they would be at this outpost. Their job would be to watch and patrol the area. Uh, They were to administer the affairs of the emperor in that area to make sure that things were done lawfully and that things were under control. And if the needs would arise, then they would, you know, send for help. They would contact, you know, nearby uh, units and all and up the chain of command and all and just there, remaining faithful in that area. You know, if you go out into the remote areas, what's going on out there? Not much. You could get bored. You could get tired of it. You could be disappointed with it. But it was your job. And you were expected to do your job regardless of what you may experience out there. And I want to ask you, do you see yourself as a soldier? That you're in the Lord's army? That you're in this thing? Well, since you've named the name of Christ, this is your lot. This is my lot in life. And it's a good choice. It's the right choice. It's a good thing. Are you standing at your post day in and day out? Are you doing your duty? These are the questions that we must ask ourselves. And so we learn from this text that 
Faithfulness is tested by God through delay. It's sort of much, really much like our prayers. You know, we, we live in an instant society. We, you know, we plop our bread in the toaster, push it down, and within minutes we have the desired texture of our bread. You know, we love it toasted. It happens. We like it that way. We can microwave things. We, we can, you know, push a button and we can watch a movie. We can push a button and, and get the news. I mean, we're just, it's, everything's right at our fingertips and we really like that. And so we sort of have this immediate gratification. And somehow we think that transfers into things of the spirit realm and into things of God. And so when we pray, then, you know, I've been praying about this, you know, for a couple of days and nothing's happened. I mean, God must not really care. You know, what's the delay? Well, it must not be his will. You know, we start rationalizing and trying to, you know, understand why this could possibly be taking so long. I'm so glad that none of you have that problem. (laughs) But delay tests our heart. Do we really believe? Do we really trust God? Jesus communicated in that particular psalm, or parable, excuse me, uh, that the master of the house would return and he would give an account uh, of of those services performed by the good and wise servant there in that text. We're exhorted to do the same. We're not to become engrossed with this present life and fail to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man. You want to be a wise servant? Do you want to be a, a wise and good servant? Then you'll be found faithful. And really, there's two questions when it comes to this faithfulness of that parable that he, he was speaking of there uh, at the end of chapter 24. I'm speaking now uh, verses 45 through 51. Is what am I doing and why am I doing it? Motivation is so important. Who am I doing this for? These are, these are parables are, again, sort of combined together to cause us to examine our hearts and to think through. Now, a couple weeks ago, when we went through the first part of this chapter, 25, uh, speaking of chapter 25, 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins, again, you couldn't miss the application. The Son of Man is going to come at a time uh, least expected. You might be sleeping on the job. But even if you're sleeping, you need to be ready. So before you conk out, get your oil. Get yourself prepared. Because you never know. You just don't know. You just got to be ready. And so wise people hear the words of Jesus. And they prepare themselves. Those that are sincere take interest in the matters of the kingdom. Those who do not prepare are the ones who do not have sincere interest in things of the kingdom. They're the ones that are going to be left out. They're going to be empty-handed when the master returns and the account is, is to be given. And again, you know, the main idea with these virgins is to be ready and prepared. This delay that we can experience is going to challenge our faith. When things don't always go the way we prefer them to go, our faith is going to be challenged. Jesus said it, our walk our time in between the two comings would be like that. And so we shouldn't be surprised. He's telling these stories so that people will be instructed, so that their expectations wouldn't be skewed, and they wouldn't be thinking and assuming certain things that were not true about the Lord and about his ways. And so the bottom line is Jesus wants us all to be wise servants. He wants us all to be prepared. He wants us to be able to fulfill uh, that which he's ordained for each of our lives. And so, again, the question, having re- read these parables, are we prepared to meet the Lord? Are we ready? Is our conscience good before God in that we are doing what we know to be the will of God in our life? Are we drawing closer to God? In our walk with Him? Are we drifting away? There is no neutral ground. We're either making progress or we're regressing. It's just the nature of time. 
It's the nature that we have to deal with. And so, this particular parable, the parable of talents that we have read here, gives us a sober reality of the judgment that you and I are going to face. We are going to give an account. I don't know about you, but that sort of scares me. Now, I like, I love the Lord, and I know He loves me, but He's exacting. He doesn't have a romantic view of sin. He doesn't, He, he takes His work seriously. We are to take our work seriously, not ourselves, but our work and what He's called us to seriously. We need to be about our task and carry on our responsibilities. And so to me, having to give an account before God for every word, every idle world, I'll give an account. I, don't, I mean, I'm already praying for mercy for that moment. But one of the things that's encouraging is that this judgment will be based upon, upon what God has given to us, what he's endowed us with. You notice in the, what we read there, according to their own abilities. And so what that infers is that the judgment that we face is going to be fair. It's going to be equitable. It won't be wrong. It won't be over the top. It'll be exactly what it needs to be. And you can read through, when you read through the Gospels and the, and the words of Christ, it, you know, we actually become the judges of ourselves with the words that we use towards other people. You know, to the measure that you judge others, that measure will be measured back to you. So it's just sort of sobering when you begin to think through some of these aspects of judgment. And if it doesn't bother you, then let's just have a word of prayer here because <laughs> this, this is really stiff material when it comes to it. And listen. If you want another scripture reference, just to shake your spirit a little bit, Second Corinthians five nine. This is Paul. And therefore, he said to the Corinthians, "We make it our aim, whether we are present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him." That should be our goal. That should be our aim. What is God a, a harsh taskmaster? Is He as that fellow with who received the one talent? I knew you were a hard man. Is he like that? Our objective is to be well-pleasing to him. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So that's what I'm doing this morning. I understand the terror of the Lord in that sense. I can't comprehend it, but I get it. He's a consuming fire. And anything that's of wood, hand, stubble, flesh, poof, it's gone. That which is done with a motive of love, gold, silver, precious jewels. And that will test, pass the test within the fire of his eyes. You want a picture of this? Read Revelation 1. The fiery eyes of the glorified Christ. Seeing it all. He sees it all. Sees the motive. So this parable that we've read here, the parable of the talents, is about faithfulness and unfaithfulness. It's about being overly concerned about our personal security in this life and an unwillingness to take risks of faith. Now this, is, this should hit us right between the eyes, in the middle of our spiritual heart. I mean, this is where we live. This parable is about the unwillingness to use what God has given to us, which would be our time, our life, our time, our talent, our natural abilities, and our treasures, that which he's endowed us with, that we, he will give an account. We will give an account of our stewardship. Understand, God is not asking us to do more than that. Be faithful with what he's given to you. What he's placed in your possession. I'm not responsible for your stuff. You're not responsible for my stuff. I'm responsible for myself and my stuff alone. But the work that God does 
within his kingdom isn't individualistic in that sense. It's, it's a family work. We all work together. We all put our, pool our stuff, so to speak, our time, our talents, our treasures, and we accomplish something greater than we could uh, accomplish by ourselves individually. But corporately, we can do a, a wonderful thing. This is, this is what the good works that churches are about. What, what many can do can create tremendous fruit and bring tremendous honor and glory to God. Now, what this really boils down to is that you and I, we have a lot to overcome if we're going to image the Lord properly. If we're going to get anywhere close to how Jesus imaged the Father, there's going to have to be a lot of overcoming of our flesh, our selfishness, because that's who we are in our base natures. You know, some of you who have not heard me talk about imaging God, uh, this is a very important truth that sort of runs the to the undercurrent of the scriptures from Genesis 1 uh, through the end. You know, the, the disciples walked with Jesus and it was still hard for them to get it. So if you don't really get imaging, it, it's more of a status. We are created in the image of God. It's not describing, you know, the, the trichotomous being that we are. It's, it's our job description, Jesus imaged the Father perfectly. He represented him while he was on the earth perfectly. Has, so if the Father would have been here, he would have acted just like Jesus. That's perfectly imaging the Father. John fourteen nine through 11, we find Jesus responding to Philip. Well, hey, Jesus, go, you know, Go ahead and show us the Father. That that you know, can we have the Mount Sinai experience like with Moses that Moses had? You know, just show us the Father, we'll be then we'll be satisfied. I'm sure Jesus sort of looked at him like, Hold on. Pump the brakes here, son. You know. Have I not been with you so long? And yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? And the words I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And again in Hebrews 1 Verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways has spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the worlds, who bring the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself had purged our sins, sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so this is God's plan. And it has been God's plan from the very beginning. In Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image and let him have dominion over the earth. He's going to be held accountable for the stewardship of the earth. He is there as an ambassador to represent us and to do things our way, to harness the things and the blessings of the earth and bring glory and honor to us. That's kind of the idea there. And so Jesus did that perfectly. He's asking us to image him as well. And so in this parable of the talents, as we break this down a little bit, we have a man traveling to, a, as it were, a far country. He has... His servants, these three servants in particular, and he calls them. Understand, God has called you. That's what he says there. Who called his own servants. You're hearing me. You've heard the voice of God. He's called you to his side. He's called you to salvation. He's yours. He belongs you belong to him. You're not your own anymore. And he has delivered to you the gift of life. He's endowed you with talents. 
in this case, we're talking. There's, it's real money. He's using it as an illustration. It's real. You know, talent was a certain amount of uh, bartering value. And then notice that they're not all the same. Not everyone received the same amount, and that's okay. One guy got five, another guy got two, one got one. I mean, God knows that there are different personalities. God knows that there are different abilities across the board. He isn't going to require of any of us more than he's endowed us with. And so we can't use that as a cop-out. Well, I, I, you know, I, that's not, those, I, uh, whatever would follow isn't going to fly. It, you know, it's nice when the Lord gives you things, but and the things that God gives us are nice, aren't they? I mean, we're just satisfied with the wonderful blessings. It's nice to have a nice home, nice place to, to lay your head and know that you're not going to get soaked when it rains, which is going to happen a little bit here. <laughs> you know, it's nice to be in a building, right? The blessings of God are wonderful. But it says here that he gave to them and then he left. And when, as you walk with the Lord, you begin, the older you get and the more you walk with the Lord, the less you care about material things. Oh, you care about them. You like them. You want them. And you will be sort of bummed if they're not there. But they're not as important anymore. It is your walk with God. It is the presence of God. I, I wish the Lord wouldn't have gone to a far country. I wish you were here... I, how I often think, I wish I could have been a disciple. Why couldn't I have been a disciple, Lord? I could, you know, I could be an Andrew. I mean, you know, what was wrong with that, you know? But no. <laughs> you know, as we have this thing where we want to, you know, pick and choose, like, and, and for those of you who struggle with it, just read Acts 17.26 in that, in that neighborhood. And Paul's there in Athens talking, at the, you know, speaking at the Areopagus to the, to the, to the wise people who just, you know, had, apparently they were fairly well off and they were philosophers and they just, you know, sat around talking about things. And so he, Paul notices the sign there on one of their gods that they worshipped to the unknown god. You know, we don't want to leave anybody out here. And then it goes on to say that God has placed each one of us according to his purpose and pre-appointed times and, work, and the boundaries of our habitation. I mean, that is so outrageously full of meaning and purpose. So you are where you are because that's where God needed you to be so that you could image him. And if you don't image God in your sphere of influence, nobody else is going to do that and it's going to leave a void. This is why it's so important. This is why we're going to give an account. The more obedient I am and the more surrendered I become, the greater I can image him and I can fulfill my destiny and influence the people and use what God has given to me. See, I'm learning how to use what God has given me. I'm learning how to do what I can with what I have where God has placed me. That is what we do in this life. And sometimes, as Paul said, I've learned to abound with a lot at some points in time. And other times I've had, had very little. So that flexes. And you know that in your own life. Sometimes you are abounding with a lot. Other times not so much. But we learn that though, through that that things are not the most important. It's our obedience to God that matters. But be that as it is, the Lord did leave. He is not with us physically, visibly. We walk by faith and not by sight. But he's given us direction and a commission. And, and each of us with these thoughts should take inventory. You know, some of you were born maybe in more privilege than others. God takes that into account. Think about where you were when you were saved and what kind of person you, you were at that point. And your sins have now been forgiven and you're now walking with God. Have you improved your position? Have you, have you grown in your abilities and your giftings? Have you matured in them? This is all part of stewardship. This is all part of what we'll be 
accountable. Hopefully, you're at least doubling those natural abilities through the power of His Spirit. Now, this third fellow is disturbing. And it's scary. He was only given one talent. He had lesser ability. And he took the one talent and dug a hole and buried the Lord's money. Why did he do that? Well, he did it out of fear, didn't he? That's what it says there. I was afraid. Why don't people grow in the Lord? Why don't they develop their talents? Why are people so caught up in the world who claim to be Christians and all? Well, I think it's because they don't really understand the nature and character of God. I don't really think he understood the nature of his Lord. I don't think he comprehended the character of God. In fact, he didn't really even have a personal relationship with this person because he was wicked and unprofitable, worthless. It, he, in essence, he was actually pretentious about his life. He, what he put forth for others to see, i.e. being a servant, in reality he wasn't. He was just there. He viewed the Lord as a hard man. How many people, believers, pro, you know, professing believers, believe that God is hard? That he, what he requires of us, it's, it's, just, it's just too much. I, I can't cut this. I, I can't be all that God wants me to be. They don't understand that everybody else has to go work through this whole issue that they're working through. I mean, these other two guys, the guy with the five talents, the guy with the two talents, they had to face the same issues. They had fears. They had struggles. They had issues. But they dealt with them. They were not willing to take, they were willing to take the risk despite the possibility of losing. So what was really going on here? Why was, what was he afraid of? Was he afraid of f- failure? The fear of failure? I mean, those are, you know, those are difficult things to face. Most of us as men, we, we don't talk. We don't want to talk about our, our fear of failure. I think everybody has that, uh, whether you're a man or a woman. And it doesn't really matter if you have lots of talent or just one talent. You have to work through this issue. First of all, uh, the fear of failure. We're all going to make mistakes. Just that's just a given. And we all have insecurities. There's a lot of unknown unknown factors. In life, there are no guarantees in that regard. So let's think about failure for a minute. Let's break this down a little bit because I think sometimes we're not really aware of what we're carrying around. If we're not aware, self-aware of these things within what's going on in our heart, we're not going to deal with them. But we need to deal with them if we're going to be found faithful. And we're going to pass the test when we stand before the Son of Man. So what is failure? What do you think about the word failure when you hear that word? Well, you probably think, well, I'm just not good enough. You know, I'm just going to give up. Yeah, just chuck it. Just throw in the towel. I've had it. Well, it does involve a lot of frustration, that's for sure. But most of us who overcome that realize that actually failure and making mistakes can actually make us wiser and stronger in the end. So let's define it once again. An action, failure is an action proved to be unsuccessful, and that's all it is. We should not be defined by failure. It's a lack of success. Well, everybody has that on occasion. Think about Thomas Edison. You know, we all, you know, he's pretty common. Guy that invented the light bulbs. How many attempts did it take? Well, you know, that's sort of controversial we don't really know some people it's over 10,000 tries well this is what his quote anyway I've not failed I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work (laughs) and that's the way you have to look 
at failure. Well, like, they'll, well, I've known for sure that that's not going to work. So you, now you're going to make a, the next choice you make will be just a little bit more educated, right? That's the proper way to look at it. For you and I, as believers, it's Philippians 1.6. We must be, be confident of this very thing that Paul was confident of. That he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the, the day of Jesus Christ. Henry Ford, we're all familiar with him. He quote, his quote is, Failure is only the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. He's right. You learn, you, now you know that doesn't work. You've gained some knowledge there. Now if you think about what these people, uh, these successful people actually, uh, understood that there was a power in failure and they kept prodding on. The truth is, you're only a failure if what? If you quit, if you give up, if you do throw in the towel. Would you say that Edison was a failure? But he failed a lot. How about Ford? Is he, was he a failure? Well, we still see a lot of Ford vehicles driving around. Apparently not. Right? If you keep going, you will find success in whatever area you're going. And this is important. Some others have said interesting things about failure. It's an event. It's never a person. That's good. You see, we want to personalize it. You, you personally are a big F. You're just a big failure. That's not right thinking. You're a person. You'll always be a person. You always pass failure on your way to success. Mickey Rooney. Never confuse a single defeat with a final defeat. Scott Fitzgerald. I don't know these guys. I know who Mickey Rooney was, but uh, it's okay. They're, just, they're good words. If you can't have any success, you cannot have successes until you can accept failures. Another unknown fellow. So just because you failed once, twice, or a hundred times, right? It doesn't mean you're a failure. You're only a failure if you stop trying. So if you are getting the message here, you may have failed and you may have made mistakes in your stewardship with your time, talent, and your treasures up to this point in your life. But you have time on your side. You can repent. You can turn. You can change the way you see things. Knowing that you and I are accountable to God should be motivation enough to want to keep trying, to not throw in the towel. Because God, though we fall, and this is what the Proverbs say, though a righteous man falls seven times, I mean, that seven is complete, right? In a complete abject failure, God is able to make him stand. And God is able to make you stand. God is able to help me to stand. And I've made plenty of mistakes. I hate to admit it, but I have. I know you hate to admit it, but you have. It's what we do. We somehow find shame in admitting, I made a mistake. But you'll get used to it. I've gotten used to it. I don't really care what you think anymore. I just don't, right? I just, you know, I make them all every Sunday, so hey. (laughs) You're already used to it, so, right? But it's this fear of failure that, that, you know, of course, I'm not a doctor, but I want to give you a few things here to think about. Because it, this whole thing is, is, we sort of don't want to talk about it. We want to hide. And so these are some diagnostics, maybe, if you want to, well, of signs that you might have that fear of failure dominating your life or controlling your life when, and you don't really know that it is. One is failing makes you worry about what other people think about you. Failing makes you worry about your ability to pursue future desires. Failure makes you, failing makes you worry that people will lose interest in you. Failing makes you worry about how smart and how capable you are. Failing makes you worry about disappointing people whose opinions you value. So you can see that fear, 
Being afraid causes worry, and it zaps you of your strength and of the perspective that one needs to have if he's going to succeed. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to tell people before we start out on an adventure, well, this might not work out, so that we drop their expectations a little bit. You're like, well, yeah, you kind of knew that was going to work anyway, so they don't really think so bad of you. See, we're worried about what people think. It's crazy. That flesh is weird, isn't it? (laughs) Fear of failure, if you're a procrastinator, why do you procrastinate? You're afraid of the material you're approaching or the project you're approaching. You're intimidated by it. And it sort of causes you to pause and hesitate and look for something else to busy yourself with while you deal with that. (laughs) Is it controlling you? How can you tell if it's controlling you? Are you... Do you find yourself striving in vain to be perfect? To not make a mistake? You're afraid of criticism? You're afraid that if you fail, you're going to be totally rejected? You know, I wonder about these guys, the guy with five talents, I wonder if he lost a few deals. You know, I I wonder, you know, you think he hit a home run every time? You think he nailed every deal? I doubt it. In fact, he might have had 20 at one time, and just before the Lord came back, he finally had just... And good thing the Lord came back before he lost it all, you know. I mean, you don't really know. But the, the, thing, the guy was willing to take the risk. Are you willing to take a risk for Christ? What are you willing to risk for him? Have you gotten to the point in your life where you as, are as Paul? Neither do I count my life dear to myself. Do you care whether or not you live or die? You know, to, to, to me, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ. If I'm going to live, I'm, gonna per, I'm just going to continue to be fruitful for, for the Lord. If I die, I'm, it's gain. I'm going home. Hallelujah. That's a win-win for me. But he was able to say that because he, he was a walking dead man. That's why people who go into the service and they go into battle, they, they are able to be fearless, those who are heroic. They've already considered themselves dead. I'm dead already. The chances of me surviving this onslaught that we're about to do are not good. So in order for me to accomplish what I know needs to be done, I'm already a dead man. And that's the how you need to pr- pursue your life. Do you settle? Do you settle and convince yourself that your lifestyle and what you are looking to achieve is unrealistic and so you're being controlled by fear? Are you ambivalent? Do you have a rough time making decisions? You're in to say yes, no, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's fear. Do you numb yourself? You, can't, you don't want to live the way you're living, but you don't have enough faith to, to take a risk to change your destiny, your place. Nobody else is going to do it. You have to do it, and God can help you do it. And He will help you do it because He wants you to do it. And that's what you have to believe. A lot of people try to avoid this. It's an inner pain. It's, a, it's, it's an indescribable load to have to bear. You know, we know people, why do people get addicted to certain things? They're trying to numb out. It's too painful. It's too traumatic. People, oh, I just want to chill, you know. Let's just watch some TV. It's, it's just, it doesn't really matter. Let's just, let's just bail. So drugs, alcohol, you see what the world's into. Why are people doing that? Man, they're just, they're carrying a load that they can't bear anymore. Why do we have, why is pornography the biggest thing on the internet? This is 
people want to escape in this fantasy land that's just, and it's all it is, is the big fantasy. For you guys, and I've said this to you guys, and I'll say it in front of the ladies, <laughs> just get over your fantasies when it comes to this. Plug your ears, lady. It's all standard equipment. They have two breasts and a part that brings forth children. It's all standard equipment. Stop dreaming about stuff that's ridiculous. And that's very coarse and that's very straightforward, but this is destroying the Christian church. Pastors are being shelved. Marriage, Christian marriages are being destroyed. We're going to give an account, fellas. And it's actually in, it's happening with women as well. It's this, not just men. And it's a shame for us to talk about this. I rarely talk about this, but it's there. I'm aware of it. That's why I have stuff on my computer to protect me from that. I'm just as prone as the next guy. And you need to protect yourself from that. You know, this fear thing can go so far as to cause people to be sick. When you're troubled and you're just, you are just carrying this load, we are not, we call it stress. And somehow stress is almost like, wow, I'm just really stressed out right now because I'm doing so much. Like that's like a badge of honor. <laughs> no. We are not made to carry stress. We really are not. And, and so when you, in your bodies, and I'm not a doctor, but I do know this, when I, when I get stressed out and I'm carrying a load that I shouldn't be carrying for a longer period than I should be carrying it, my immune system weakens and I'm more prone to, to get sick. There's a, our culture is sick in so many ways. And I think the stress and the load and the fears, we have a nation that's living in fear. We have a nation full of unforgiveness and so therefore we have a lot of anger. I mean, th this, is a, this is where we live. The, we as believers must deal with this. And if we are faithful to God, He will deliver us from these things. He will. The, the work He began in us, He's faithful to complete. I'd like you, and I'll close with this. And I, I want you to read this this week. I read part of this scripture to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's only 20 verses. But I think it's so important. To, because we need perspective. And this is why Jesus gave these parables. He needed to impart a perspective to the people who would live in this time period between these two com comings. It would be a time of delay. He's coming. He's going to return. It's going to come when we're not ready for it. Probably our departure from the earth will come at a time when us individually, we're not ready for it or expecting it for sure. Hopefully we're ready for it. But Paul, Paul gives us a perspective and he's communicating this perspective to the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house, is this tent, our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with the habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit has guarantee. And so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And therefore we make it our aim, whether we are present or absent, we will be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are all well known as to God, and I trust are well known to your consciences. Verse 12, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity 
to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer to those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, that means nuts, it is for God. And if we are of a sound mind, well, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we should become the righteousness of God in him. We have to adopt these truths found within the scriptures if we're going to accomplish the things that God has called us to. If we're to image God properly and completely, perfectly, as Jesus did, it means we're going to have to overcome our selfishness. We're going to have to realize that we are no longer our own. Well, I'm a, I, look, I accepted Jesus. Leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's why we're to do what we do. It's why we wash one another's feet. It's why we, we give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters. God has called us out of the world. We are a different people. We're not to be as the world. We are not to let the world influence it, but it does. And we need the grace of God. But it's, again, coming back to these basic truths of being a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. You no longer belong to yourself. You don't have a right to just do what you want. You're going to be accountable to God. I'm going to be accountable to God. That scares me. That motivates me. I hope it motivates you. May God bless you and enrich your life this week. May the Lord just shine his face on you and give you favor and work in your heart that complete surrender so that he can reveal himself to you in, in the depth of his love and grace. Shall we pray? Father, I do thank you. This word is sharp and it slices us deep within our spirits, Lord. And we ask that you would be merciful and that you would be gracious to us, Lord. We don't deserve your mercy as we are as Jacob, Lord. We are not worthy of the least of your tender mercies, but we know that you are not a hard Lord. You are a good and gracious Father, full of compassion. And so, Lord, make us all to stand. The work that you started in each one of us, Lord, I pray you'll finish it. And you, in our case, Lord, we ask you to hasten that process, Lord. Make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Shall we stand?